2: Minutes ago, a federal jury here in the Eastern District convicted Joaquin El Chapo Guzman Loera on all counts of the federal indictment. This conviction is a victory for every family who has lost a loved one to the black hole of addiction. It took 12 weeks of testimony by nearly 60 witnesses, but the trial of El Chapo is finally over. As most people know at this point, the verdict is Guilty. He faces a mandatory sentence of life in prison with no chance for parole. Unless he somehow manages to escape again, he's going to spend the rest of his life behind bars in the United States. The trial was historic and totally unprecedented, and his conviction was an epic ending. In this case, we got an inside look at the Sinaloa cartel and learned all kinds of crazy new details about Chapo's life. I've been reporting on Chapo basically nonstop for over a year now in the U.S. and Mexico. I was in the courtroom for almost all 44 days of the trial, and covering it was grueling. So, now we're going to take a deep dive into what this trial actually means, what it showed us about the drug war, and what, if anything, is going to change now that Chapo is behind bars. Sitting in with me in the studio is our producer Jesse Alejandro Cottrell, and calling in from Mexico City is my co-host and compadre, journalist Miguel Ángel Vega. Hey guys, what's going on? Hey, how you doing, guys? So Keegan, you've asked me to guide the conversation
0: a bit. We've got some crazy wiretapped recordings of El Chapo that were played during the
2: trial that I'm really excited to get to. But before we hear those, how about you tell me some more about the verdict? When Chapo was brought into the courtroom, everybody knew that the verdict was about to be announced. And he sort of comes in through a side door and you could hear him coming before you saw him, the clanking of the shackles as the marshals sort of uncuffed him and let him in. And then he steps out, and it was all eyes on him. Everybody in that courtroom was looking at Chapo, and he sort of paused and looked around. And you could tell that he enjoyed being the center of attention, even though he probably knew a guilty verdict was coming. He was the star of his own show, and I think he took a little bit of pleasure from that. When the verdict was read, there was just a buzz in the courtroom. It was packed. There were tons of journalists, tons of people from the government, and— Everybody was looking at Chapo, waiting for his reaction. He sort of had a stunned look on his face. He turns and looks at his wife, Emma Cornell, who's in the the courtroom gallery. He nods at her. She flashes him a thumbs up as she's fighting back tears. And then he gets escorted out of the courtroom by U.S. Marshals. Miguel Angel, where were you when the verdict was announced?
1: Well, I happened to be in Latuna, Badiraguato, where uh, Chapo was born. I arrived there and I met one of the gunmen and he told me, oh, you know what? El Chapo, my uncle, was found guilty and, you know, we are devastated. He's kind of disappointed because we felt that he didn't have a fair trial. And then we walked over uh, Doña Consuelo's house, which is uh, Doña Consuelo's uh, Chapo's mother, and she was uh, sitting in his house outside, you know, washing the flowers that she has outside. And I didn't have the guts to tell her, you know, there is a verdict. Your son was found guilty. I just say, hi, how are you doing? Hey, hi, welcome. How are you doing? And I just say, hi, fine. And that was it. Had she heard the news? No, no, she didn't. When I saw her, like everyone was watching TV, listening to the announcement. But she was sitting outside her house, you know, watching the flowers. She was kind of upset. But she didn't know. She was sad because one of his uh, sons-in-law just died and they were like waiting for the body for the corpse to arrive. But she didn't know about the verdict.
0: Keegan, let's talk a bit about the
2: last month of the trial. Can you describe what that was like? The last month of the trial was probably the most dramatic stretch. So some of the people who were close to Chapo took the stand and offered all kinds of details about how Chapo ran his drug empire and what he was like as a person. Details like how he mixed business and romance with his mistress, who was a former state lawmaker in Sinaloa. How he threatened to kill anyone who betrayed him, even if they were his own family members or women. How he was so paranoid that he installed spyware on the phones of his wife and other people who were close to him so they could track their movements and secretly eavesdrop on their conversations. And now it's over. Yeah, it's kind of surreal.
0: So I know there was also information that came out right before the jury went into deliberations where Chapo was accused of having sex with minors. Keegan, tell us more about those accusations.
2: So according to a court document that was unsealed at the request of Vice News and the New York Times, one of the witnesses who was going to testify against El Chapo had told U.S. authorities that Chapa would pay to have young girls brought to him, girls as young as 13, and that he would drug and rape them. The government in this unsealed document said that they had multiple witnesses who could corroborate the fact that Chapa was using young teenage girls for sex.
0: And that's just another level of awful. So outside of those allegations, this trial was just really complicated. There was a ton of testimony on how the Sinaloa cartel used corruption and violence, But before we talk about that, let's talk about corruption. One of the witnesses, Alexi Fuentes, made some pretty incredible allegations about bribes,
2: right? Alexi Fuentes is the younger brother of one of Chapo's Colombian cocaine suppliers. He was sent to live in the mountains with El Chapo and was basically his right-hand man, like a personal secretary who was taking care of all sorts of business and personal matters for Chapo.
0: And Alex Fuentes made some pretty incredible allegations during the trial.
2: He was behind uh, some of the biggest bombshells, most notably that Chapo paid a $100 million bribe to Enrique Peña Nieto, the former president of Mexico. But not only that, he claimed that Peña
0: Nieto originally asked Chapo for $250 million, and Chapo, ever the businessman, haggled with the president of Mexico to get it down to $100 million.
2: That's how he told the story, and I would say that we should take that with a pretty sizable grain of salt because Enrique Peña Nieto was the president when Chapa was captured twice and also when Chapa was extradited from Mexico to the U.S. for this trial. So as far as
0: corruption goes, what's the main takeaway here for us?
2: To me, it's that the Sinaloa cartel really could not do business without high-level corruption in the Mexican police, military, and government. Without folks taking those bribes, and turning a blind eye to cartel activities, or in some cases actively helping the cartel traffic drugs, it just would not operate the way it does now as easily, at least. So we got a real
0: peek behind the curtain into how the Sinaloa cartel operated. For me, one of the craziest witnesses that came to the stand was Christian Rodriguez, who is this systems operator who ended up playing this pivotal role in bringing down Chapo.
2: One of the fascinating parts about this is that in order for El Chapo to lead the cartel, he needs to be in communication with other people in the cartel, other leaders, his underlings, and giving them orders. At the same time, the U.S. obviously is trying to monitor his communications so that they could build their case against him, track him down. One of his solutions was to hire a systems administrator to create a custom encrypted phone network. This guy was a Colombian who was recommended to Chapo by one of his Colombian cocaine suppliers. He came up to the mountains in Culiacan and did, as we just said, created an encrypted phone network where they would use um, the internet to make calls to each other that couldn't be wiretapped, or so they thought. What happened is that the FBI got to this systems administrator flipped him, uh, convinced him to work as an informant, and he let them into the server that he'd set up. And the FBI, from that, was allowed to wiretap dozens and dozens of conversations where Chapo, you know, thought that he could speak freely about his business, but the whole time, the U.S. law enforcement was listening in and and recording those conversations. So let's actually listen to one of these wiretap
0: conversations.
1: (laughs) —
0: so that's Chapo, and who is he talking to on the phone right there?
2: He's talking to a guy named Cholo Ivan, who is the basically his chief enforcer, or the, the head of a group of sicarios, of hitmen. If Chapo needs uh, somebody knocked off, he sends Cholo Ivan and some of his gunmen to do the job. And they're talking about a battle against a rival group in Sinaloa. What we can hear is that Chapo really isn't always pro-violence. This, this guy, Cholo Ivan, is talking about how he's beating up police officers and basically going after anything that moves in this town where they're, they're having the conflict. And Chapo is telling him, like, chill out. Like, don't, don't beat up police officers. That's going to cause problems. And at the end of the call, Cholo Ivan says sort of a chilling thing where he's just like, you taught me to act like a wolf, and I'm acting like a wolf. Okay, so let's listen to one more clip. So this is Chapo and the voice of an unidentified woman. We don't know exactly who it is, but she is some type of drug wholesaler in the United States, and they're negotiating the shipment of drugs. She's asking for cocaine. Chapo says, I don't have that right now, but I got a bunch of meth in L.A., Um, Can I send that to you? And so she's saying, oh, yeah, we can do that, whatever you want. Um, I have customers all over the Midwest. And she says, Ohio. And Chapo, almost like he's trying the word out for the first time, says, Ohio? Ohio? Okay.
0: (laughs) So what you're saying is that Chapo essentially is dictating which
2: drugs are flooding which American city. That's exactly right. I mean, this is – it's a supply-based business, and sometimes, you know, you don't have – Hundreds of kilos of cocaine that you can just have at your disposal to send to a customer. He has another drug and says, hey, do you want this meth instead? Okay, so big picture, Keegan. what did we learn about Chapo's operations? We learned that it's as vast as it's been made out to be. We're talking about a supply network that stretches from Colombia and Ecuador and Central America to Mexico and Belize. And that he's supplying drugs that go all the way across the United States and into Canada. If you consumed heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, and maybe even marijuana any time over the last 30 years, there's a pretty decent chance that Chapo had a hand in it somehow.
0: And so to control that
2: network, it seemed like he used a lot of violence. Is that true? That's absolutely true. I mean, that's something that we talked about in earlier episodes of the podcast, like, for example, the War for Juarez. We heard testimony about that, how Chapo you know, is essentially waging war for control of of entire cities, entire states, entire regions in Mexico. During the trial, we heard from one of the guys who helped Chapo commit so much violence, the guy
0: who allegedly arranged the murder of Javier Valdez, Miguel Ángel's old colleague.
2: Yeah, that's Damaso Lopez, also known as a licenciado, who was sort of Chapo's right hand man and lieutenant for a long time. He was a former prison official in Mexico who was instrumental in getting Chapo out in a laundry cart in 2001 and in digging the tunnel that helped him escape in 2015. People who listen to our podcast will recall in episode 7, we talk about the death of Javier Valdez, who was a journalist uh, at the newspaper Rio de in Cuyacan. He was Miguel Angel's friend and colleague. And many people suspect that Damaso, or at the very least, Damaso's son, was the one who ordered the hit on Javier Valdez. He was asked for the first time uh, publicly about that during the trial by El Chapo's lawyer. And he denied any involvement. He said that it was actually El Chapo's sons who were the ones who orchestrated the murder of Javier Valdez and that Domaso and his son were the ones who were sort of set up to take the blame.
0: What do you think about that, Miguel Angel? Do you think any of that is true?
1: Well, it's really hard to say if it's true or, or if it's not. Uh, but uh, personally, uh, I don't know what to think. So
0: Damaso claimed on the stand that Chapo's sons forced Javier Valdez to publish a story. What do you think about that claim?
1: It's impossible because Javier was a very honest journalist. And uh, I knew Javier and I I know the uh, newspaper editorial uh, line. So it's impossible. There is no way Javier would agree to something like that.
0: Okay, so what really happened?
1: The sons learned somehow that Javier interviewed Damaso, and they asked this personal favor not to publish the story. But still, Javier did it because he thought he, he had a very good story in his hands. So he basically disobeyed and he ran the story because Javier was a very honest journalist, and he knew that he had to do it, even though uh, the consequences that w- were coming.
0: And so, Keegan, what is the main takeaway here in regards to like what we learned about the violence in Mexico?
2: For me, it was that a lot of the violence was personal. It's often business in the sense that there's territory or that there's some dispute that ultimately has to do with the drug business. But in some cases, it's Chapo killing somebody because he refused to shake his hand or Chapo killing someone because one of his own people was killed. And it's a circle of revenge that spirals out of control and leads to drug wars that last for years. So what happens now, Keegan? Next thing that happens is Chapo's sentencing in June. Um, There's no great mystery. He has to get under the law a mandatory life sentence. Then he's likely headed to ADX Florence, the federal supermax prison in Colorado, where the U.S. keeps a lot of high-profile prisoners, gang leaders, terrorists, spies, um, those types of folks. And Chapo will be in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day for the rest of his life. There are those who say that the war on drugs is not worth fighting. Those people are wrong. Every day we lose American lives. Every day harm is inflicted on this country by drug addiction. And every seizure, every arrest, and every conviction contributes to a noble effort to save American lives. So that was the U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of New York again talking right after Chapo's guilty verdict. And he's claiming victory essentially, in the war on drugs. Maybe it's, it's just one battle, but in his mind, this is a big win. To me, it's not that. It's a, it's a Pyrrhic victory. It's, drug addiction is as bad as it's ever been in the United States. More people died of overdoses last year than any year before. Uh, the Sinaloa cartel is still alive and thriving without El Trapo and supplying a lot of the fentanyl behind the overdoses in the United States. So for him to get up there and say that that this is a win, while at the same time the U.S. continues to lose on a daily basis, just didn't ring true at all to me.
0: Miguel Angel, do you think there's any value in bringing Chapo to justice and in putting him in prison?
1: Not to me. It's just another drug trafficker because uh, in the end, and we're seeing, we're witnessing this, uh, the violence in Mexico is worse than ever. The drug addiction in the U.S. is even worse than when Chapo was on the run.
2: Special thanks to Vice Attorney Yanni Berkovitz, who wrote a letter to El Chapo's judge that helped get the documents unsealed about the child rape allegations. From the Chapo trial, thanks to Miguel Fernandez-Flores, Alan Foyer, Emily Saul, Marisa Cespedes, Jesus Esquival, Molly Crane Newman, Adam and his podcast family in Burbank, Tony Arroyo. For more on El Chapo and the drug war, including coverage of his trial, visit vicenews.com. Thanks for listening.